Hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll keep that part of the segment and maybe cut the rest of the five-minute intro. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I, th- I think that'll make Drew happy. <laughs> hey, Drew. Hey. Yeah. Welcome to episode two of uh, Friends Who Disagree. There, there, uh, there might be more disagreeing this time. I, I'm optimistic for for our low levels of agreement this week. <laughs> what a terrible thing to want. Yeah. I guess in this case, this is the goal. Live up to the name of the show. Right. Give yeah. the people what they want. Yeah. The the person what they want. Right. True. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Taco. All right. Well, start it, as always, with a handshake. Yep. Um, yeah. So you brought up earlier this week in our pre-production meeting in the green room of studio seven um that you wanted to talk about the uh (laughs) um yes we have a budget no we we don't don't. the uh (laughs) excellent segue into the the colorado school shooting um that happened i believe there was one dead 13 injured um one dead for sure it was like uh, four in critical condition Yes, it was, uh, this might be a time when we have to edit. <laughs> we're back. Eight were wounded. Eight were wounded, one was killed, and the one that was killed, uh, his name was Kendrick Castillo. Died a hero. Yeah, he tackled the gunman and allowed the rest of the students and uh, and his English teacher to escape the room. Yeah. Either escape the room or I know other people uh, were said to have rushed the gunman. I think there were two others, um, I th- I believe. There might have been two. Was there two gunmen or just one? Just one. Just one? Yep. So, yeah, there were. Yeah, Castillo was the one who died, and then there was another one who survived, and then he he was a Marine Corps pulley. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's going to go on to keep serving the, the country. So. Yeah. Uh, I've got a couple thoughts on that. Right off the bat, it's an incredible story of heroism. Yeah. Uh, the the kid absolutely died a hero. Um, but on the contrary, that type of thing shouldn't be something that is expected of high school students in the United States of America. No. No one should go to school thinking, all right, so I'm sitting in English class. If a guy walks in with a gun, I have an act- like a plan of action to... Mm-hmm to go take this guy down yeah it's speaking from personal experience and this might just be a, a male thing but when i'm whenever i was sitting in class in high school or in college it was like okay what would i do if a gunman came in and mm-hmm. it wasn't ever for like like safety it wasn't i'm thinking oh like this is what i need to do in order to survive it was kind of just like i was playing an action movie in my head starring me um but yeah even just the fact that those like these things occur is um terrible like there's no other descriptor that i can use no i mean um parkland happened when both of us were attending a a university although it wasn't a university campus that got shot up it was a high high school. school yeah um and and it seemed it was just every single time there was a new public mass shooting I found myself walking around my own campus with a little bit more hesitancy mm. because 
there was always this prevailing thought in the back of my head. What if? What if somebody just, like, I'm sitting on the quad reading a book or something. What if someone just opened fire? Yep. We at MU, uh, University of Missouri, we had a a fairly good um, campus-wide alert system for, like, it would be, I don't know, you're a fan of the office. It was basically woof. Nice. Yeah, so, like... Text message, yeah, text messages, emails, um, just like any kind of notification system just went on blast. Like Blackboard, you would see a little notification that um, suspicious stranger walking from the ag building to the student center. Like everybody within those areas be cautious, like campus police is dealing with it or tracking down the whoever they suspect this person to be. So we... We're pretty fortunate to have, um, like, uh, good on-the-spot response teams, but um, it's part of you feels like those shouldn't even have to be a thing. But at the same time, it's still there. It's still an area where there's a lot of people, and so you want to have, regardless, even if there are no external uh, apparent external threats, you want right. to be safe i would say regardless like guns or no guns a system like that is extremely important Mm -hmm. um like we had a very similar system i went to the university of illinois in urbana and uh we had a system called the line eye alerts and so we got a text an email and actually i think it was just a text and an email anytime anything like what you're talking like we had a fire or something like that Mm -hmm. on a on a in a campus building and they sent out an alert um but there were multiple times when there were shootings uh, like right around the corner from where I was, uh, for instance, we were having a house party and people were starting to filter out. It was two in the morning. They were at the bus stop down the street and all of a sudden, and we, we just, people were filtering out. We had the music up. All of a sudden they ran back in and said, you need to lock all the doors. Someone just opened fire at a party across the street from the bus stop. We ran back here, yeah. uh, close all the doors, turn off the lights, get in the basement, call 911. Yeah. Um, that was my first experience, my first firsthand experience with a shooting near a school campus. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just a weird experience. And I remember feeling like very on edge. Uh, and then something very similar happened three months later. Um, there was just a huge house party going on across the street. I remember going to sleep that night thinking, I don't feel great about this. Um, it had been going on all day. There was a lot of music playing. People were filtering in and out and it was slightly off campus. So you don't know who's going to show up. Um, Sure enough, I woke up at 2 in the morning to gunshots, looked out my window, squad cars started pulling up, police got out with assault rifles and riot shields and went into the house and got people out. Uh, I guess no one was injured at that one, but the fact that it happens and the fact that that time I felt less jarred and more just upset that it happened, like mm-hmm. I, was, I was more just kind of pissed. Yeah, that that had happened a so, second time right down the street from where I live. Mm-hmm. That one was right across the street, and I think that's indicative of this wave of mass shootings in our country recently. People are just getting desensitized, and instead of reacting accordingly and saying, "Hey, like let's take some serious action," it's just it's numbing us to to the fact that like it happens every, almost every single day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the closest exp- experience I had was 
um, they weren't really shootings. They were more like um, we lived in a, a townhome complex off campus. Uh, and like one or two in the morning, there are a ton of block parties going on um, just any given weekend. And I'm like somewhat familiar with firearms. And so I know what a gunshot in the distance sounds like. And so I sat up out of bed when I heard, like, a few pops go off. And I'm like, "Mm, that's not fireworks. Like, that's something else. And I could look out my window and see people, like, running down the street away from this specific house. It turns out it wasn't anything malicious. It was two just, like, drunk farm kids, like, shooting shotguns out the back back stoop. But um, we did have another one where on campus there was a woman who I think was walking around with a handgun and dropped it in a dumpster after a while um and we were all advised to like stay indoors and like don't don't go to your next class and i'm like i like you said i became desensitized to it and it just became like an inconvenience at that point it wasn't even like this is a legitimate threat that i should feel fear towards it was like can you just buzz off so i can go to my (laughs) next class like or like do like just get it over just with my or, life or go away like do one or the other like and so it was like um yeah more of an inconvenience than anything else but and that's what's so frustrating about it because anyone coming from a country where guns are outlawed for the most part and they just don't deal with this type of stuff would be on campus with you during that scenario and be like well what are you talking about? This is an inconvenience. There's someone walking around with a gun mm-hmm. who is doing unpredictable things. Like, I, it's 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 not something that people, much less students, should have to worry about. Especially because, uh, like, uh, these high school students just went to a day of school hoping to get an education. Yep. And uh, it's... It's frustrating. Yeah. So I'm actually really interested to hear, um, like, your thoughts more so, like, not just on school shootings in general, but, like, on the whole kind of gun debate at large. Sure. Um, Because this is the one topic, in at least in American politics, that this is the only one I will say this about. This conversation generally takes place between one side that is very aware of what firearms are how they operate and they are immersed in a certain kind of lifestyle that lends itself to being very knowledgeable about the topic and then there are people who look at things I would I would attribute as objectively as they could given their circumstances but who typically don't know as much as the people who are immersed in the lifestyle and so I think a lot of the issues that come about is just the operating on different sets of knowledge and information and so there's automatically a bridge that can't even be crossed because you're like you're not working with the same um skill set or tool set essentially so i just want to hear kind of like what you have to say and what your opinions are and how far it goes for you I, um, whoa, (laughs) uh, hearing you 
describe the two sets of people kind of makes me think of and that's divide. a very broad oh, generalization yeah. right but when i'm thinking about you describing these two groups of people i'm thinking of more of a uh, more of a crowd that grew up in rural areas maybe suburban areas where there's a more heightened awareness of um how to properly own store and take care of weaponry like that mm-hmm. um and then the other crowd is the urban crowd um where i mean i guns have zero place in an urban setting i think um unless they are strictly being used for protective purposes by a an an authority figure i would say the the fact that we think that in an urban setting at a school or any public building even my office building that a little sign with a picture of a gun and a cute little cross drawn through it is going to keep someone from entering your building with a gun is absolutely asinine mm-hmm. um and uh and it, it, that's what makes this conversation so difficult because um you're right there there's one group of people on on the side of being very responsible gun owners that I can very well understand would be upset with their right to bear arms being infringed upon or taken away just because this other set of people doesn't know how to handle them and and there are crazy people going around with weapons who know nothing about them that just want to inflict an incredible amount of harm on, on innocent people and that's not what a responsible gun owner wants for anyone. Mm-hmm. Um and uh and it's just it's hard to reconcile those differences especially because the people living in more urban environments or just anybody who <laughs> would like to see stricter gun control sometimes doesn't have that same appreciation for the weaponry um i would say myself included i've shot uh guns once and with I, me actually with you yeah, yeah at a shooting range in in Wisconsin um, it's a lot of fun. Great sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the entire time I was holding, we had an AR-15 at one point. We did. Yep. Um, I could not stop thinking about the fact that the weapon I was holding was used in a mass shooting. I think at that point it was two months prior. I'm trying to remember the exact shooting, but to gun down mass amounts of. Oh, you know what? It was the Las Vegas shooting. Was it? Or was it the the Pulse nightclub in Orlando? You're right. It was the Pulse nightclub. Okay. Um, oh, that was another thing. When I was working in Orlando this this winter, there were signs everywhere, like commemorating that shooting. Still, yeah, and it, it was, was very horrific. Real. Yeah, it was a very real, like stark reminder that this city is still reeling from an awful thing that happened. And yeah, so I couldn't stop thinking about that when when we were shooting that weapon. Mm-hmm. Um, did familiarizing yourself as much as you can in one day with that kind of, I don't want to call it culture, but just becoming more familiar with guns in general and being around other people who um, had them and used them on a semi-regular basis, did that change your initial opinions on gun ownership or, or guns in general, or did it kind of affirm what you had already felt before uh i would say it certainly affirmed what i had already felt before um as i said it was a cool sport and i definitely respect um 
how much people invest in terms of their finances and their wealth of knowledge into taking care of these weapons and understanding them. Um, but I am still of the belief that they should not be for sale um, on the kind of mass market that they're for sale on right now. Um, this is the only the only country in the Western world where this type of mass shooting regularly happens and the only thing that our politicians are doing about it is saying we're grieving for and with the families here are our thoughts and prayers and those are the people in positions of power to pass sensible gun control legislation to keep it from happening and there is another side of the argument that it's a mental health crisis and i do agree that it is, it is in part a mental health crisis because these people who are carrying out the mass shootings are not mentally well. Um, no one who is mentally stable thinks, yes, going into a high school with a weapon to inflict mass amounts of pain and, and death to other people is the right thing to do as a human. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think before we even start addressing the mental health question, we need to talk about making these weapons far less available to the common person. Okay. So we can take the Colorado shooting, for example. So the shooter was 18 years old, and he used a handgun. And in the state of Colorado, you need to be 21 years old to legally buy a handgun. So on that basis alone, odds are he got it in an illegal manner. Either he stole it from his parents, which is theft, which is breaking the law, or he bought it illegally, which is another law already broken. So what, on that basis alone, knowing that a lot of these, if not all of them, um, these kinds of mass shootings are used with weapons that have been obtained in an illegal fashion um what would you propose to like if you were a potential lawmaker or if you were you know beseeching a congressman to say hey look we need to do something about this like what what steps do you think need to be taken or do you have a a solution in mind i guess um the fact that buying that kind of weaponry in colorado uh has a minute like you're essentially saying you need to be old enough to drink to be old enough to to buy these weapons mm-hmm. and um it's, it's like that in most states in most states you have to be 18 to buy either a rifle or a shotgun and then 21 years old to buy a handgun okay um what i would say to that is this shouldn't be treated th- these these weapons should not be treated like cigarettes and and a bottle of beer um if you want to go out and buy cigarettes that's fine uh you're doing yourself harm um if you want to go out and buy a beer and have a great time that's great and i understand why there are age restrictions in place for that kind of thing Mm. um drinking and driving is a whole nother topic that like is just beyond the scope of what we're going to talk about today but i don't think that we should be treating um weaponry that is so efficient at ending human life as these these vices with age restrictions on it i i don't think there should be an age restriction i think it just should not be available just at all yes 
because okay. because when you're in high school and if you want to go get a a pack of cigarettes or a case of beer, you can get someone who's of age to buy it for you. And I don't think that kind of availability it's it's illegal, but I don't think that kind of availability should be an option uh when we're talking about a firearm. So you're looking for I I don't want to mischaracterize your your argument or viewpoint and so you can obviously correct me if I'm wrong. So are you looking for like a complete ban on any sale of firearms whatsoever? Cuz the law was already broken. It was already right. in the legal sphere on a unobtainable to this particular individual. So it w- it seems like to me the next step in restricting it would be just you can't buy these at all no matter what. I guess that is where my viewpoint becomes unrefined um, because I do see the desire to be able to purchase these weapons for self-defense. Um, I understand it. Mm-hmm. Uh, both of my uncles on my mom's side have concealed carry licenses and they have had instances in their own lives where having a gun on their person has gotten them out of trouble. Yep. And, um, and I see the merit to it, especially in this country where guns are so widely available. You you can't bring a knife to a gunfight if you're trying to protect yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, so I guess I will roll back my statement then that, that, none of these weapons or these weapons should be entirely made unavailable to the public. Um, but I think the fact that you can go to a gun show and pick up a weapon with a 24 hour background check is, um, I don't think there's enough bureaucracy installed there. I don't think there, I don't think, whatever authority is in charge of running that background check is doing a good enough job at that. Um, do you know the, the background check process? No. Uh, it's so when you go to purchase a firearm from a, a licensed dealer or a gun show, you have to go through three levels of background checks. You have to go through the, the local municipal, um, authorities that you live in to make sure you don't have any active warrants out for you um you have to go through the state authorities and also the federal authorities so it goes through three levels of um of checks and there are also uh and this touches on the mental health issue as well if you have been um mentally adjudicated which is essentially mean saying that you've been found by a hospital or hospital or a medical professional that you are are unable to essentially provide for yourself because you are mentally handicapped or not a your mental fitness is not up to par with that of a reasonably healthy human being um and if you don't meet any of those requirements then you're not allowed to buy a firearm so essentially you need a really clean legal background in order to legally purchase a firearm um and there are in every gun store I've walked into, you there's posters for um, the crime of uh, buying a gun for somebody who they themselves cannot legally purchase. So if like if your brother is 
a felon and has had his right to legally purchase a firearm um, taken away from him because of you know his criminal past. If you buy it for him, then you are essentially an accessory to a crime and have committed a crime, and so you are also punishable under the law. Um, so there are a lot of legal barriers in check to already keep guns out of the hands of, of what society has deemed uh, unfit to handle them uh, out of the hands of those people. Um, and I don't necessarily think a lot of these issues are gun issues. I mean, you talked about how in the United States we're one of the last countries in the Western world um, to have this right, to have the the right to defend ourselves and, and have the right to bear arms. Um, and it hasn't, and stripping the citizenry of that right and taking away guns from the population isn't an end-all, be-all solution to violence or crime in your country. I mean, you look at the UK, they, they haven't had a, um, they've had a firearm ban for decades and, you know, mass stabbings are on the rise. And so I very much think it is more so a mental health issue or just a cultural issue in general than it is the actual tool. And if you look at crime as a whole, understandably this happens, but Guns are the only instrument of violence that are they themselves blamed as an inanimate object, that guns are responsible for crime, not the person wielding the gun, not the person wielding the knife, not the person wielding their hands and fists or hands and feet. Um, and so I think they're, and this is the sort of misinformation issue that we come across when having discussions like this where we do have in my opinion, a fairly solid and rigid process of legally purchasing a firearm. Now, granted, if you're clean, then you don't really have anything to worry about. You go, like, I've never committed a crime, and so I have a fairly common name, so my background check goes through pretty quickly. I still have to wait the 24-hour, 48-hour waiting period, depending on what kind of firearm I buy, but... Um, it's still there. I'm still being checked every time as long as well as everybody else who goes through this process. So, um, yeah, I'm in wholehearted agreement that it is not, you know, a nice sticker with a, a picture of a gun on it and a red circle over it isn't going to do diddly squat when it comes to, um, things like this. I think it's something like 94% of mass shootings happen in gun-free zones. Um, so it's clearly not working. Um, so yeah, I. It's an unfortunate reality to people who wish to not have guns track in their lives, and I completely respect that. You know, it's it's your right to have one and keep it if you wish, but it's also your right to not exercise that if you wish, and so I'm completely sympathetic to that. Um, so my argument would be maybe armed security at schools like this, just to just to act as a an upfront deterrent to people who wish to to cause harm in soft areas like that. Well, I kind of want to bring it back to what you were saying about um, the UK or other countries where there are mass gun bans and and uh, 
I mean, I'd also like to address the the idea that um, there should be security sure. uh, in schools in that I, I disagree with you. Whoa, the name of the show. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I just... It goes back to what I was saying about um, when you when your kid goes to school, I they shouldn't be made to feel like they're entering a prison where um, something could go wrong at the drop of a hat, and they need to be trained to deal with it. Like the whole idea that five year olds need to shoot guns is like know how to shoot guns in order to protect themselves from school shooters is absolutely ridiculous. Um, but I didn't make that argument though. Right, you didn't. This is something like. I think it goes along with increased security in schools um, or like having more security guards, having metal detectors. Mm-hmm. It's all steps in the direction of um, accepting that this is a problem and putting a Band-Aid on it instead of addressing the fact that these guns are making their way uh, into the schools anyway. The the, the guy in, uh, in this STEM school in Denver got in through an entrance um, like around back where he knew there wasn't security. Um, so they've already tried this security implementation measure and he found a way around it um but i I, aside from that i want to go back to your point that you made about there are still like mass stabbings in in places like the uk Mm -hmm. um and and i also want to bring up what i said earlier about guns being way too efficient at ending human life to be as widely available as they are um for instance when we when we went shooting Mm -hmm it proved to me just how easy it is to use a firearm. Anyone with half a brain can do it. Um, and if I wanted to, if I was sick, if I really had the motivation to do it, I could have turned around and shot you in the head. I would have died very quickly because everyone else in that facility had a gun mm-hmm. and is very well trained in using that gun. I would have died but I could have very easily turned around and shot you in the head and you would be dead. And you would have no way to quickly defend yourself because it just takes one bullet. Whereas if we were at like a batting cage or something like that and I had a baseball bat and I'm like, I want to hurt my friend, uh, I would turn around and probably hit you a couple times with the bat before people would like subdue me and you might escape with maybe a broken arm. Uh, and that's that's where I have issue with guns being so widely available. Because, yes, crime is still going to occur. Um, that's an overarching, that's an umbrella issue here. You're right, a gun is just, it's a tool. It's an accessory to the violent crime. Um, but it, it's a gun is so much easier to use than it was when the Second Amendment was written you don't have to reload every time you shoot. You have a clip that can hold 30, uh, 30 rounds. I believe that's the, the size of the clip. It varies, the, but yeah. yeah. Um, for the sake of the argument. Uh, and with the AR-15, I could very easily, even though there was a rule at the firing range where how many seconds between each shot did you have to wait? Like one or two or... Something like that, yeah. Like, but like, there's there's an accepted rule where like you can't just go in, turn on your automatic uh, functionality, and just blast away a target. Like, you have to you have to measure um, your rate at which you're firing these bullets because 
these weapons do have the capability and it's it's dangerous to to use them in an automatic fashion but if i wanted to i could just take that weapon on the street turn on the automatic capability or keep it on semi-automatic and shoot however fast i wanted to into a crowd okay all right there's a lot to to unpack there and i'm gonna try and get to all of it um I'll start with the the last thing you said, the the automatic weapon functionality. Um, You cannot walk into a gun store in the United States today and buy an automatic weapon. Um, There, since 1985, there has been an automatic weapons assault ban in the United States. Everything before the year 1985 has been grandfathered in, and so they're essentially collectibles at this point. Um, You still have to go through the same initial process but it's much more rigorous and they're much more expensive and so the average joe looking to do harm on the street is not going to be able to pay twenty five thousand dollars and wait nine months if that to be able to you know to have a a 1965 made m16 that has a fully automatic capability they're they're incredibly incredibly rare and you will almost always find them in uh collectors um collections uh in very wealthy people's homes um but the weapon that you were using at the range did not have an automatic firing capability and i can almost guarantee you that nobody there had that functionality either um you actually kind of made my point for me in terms of security where if you turned around and shot me in the head you'd be dead very quickly. Um, Now, when I propose increased security at places like these schools, I'm not saying that damage won't be done, but it is a way to mitigate that damage and respond much more quickly and effectively to the damage being done. Whereas instead of one person being killed and eight people being wounded, or in the case of Parkland or Sandy Hook, you know, 26, 27 kids being killed, before people were able to get into the school and and respond, it might be one or two. Now, one or two is still too many. Not zero. Yeah, it's still not zero. It's still too many. But if if you don't have a hard and fast solution to a problem like that, then you need to be able to mitigate it as best you can until you can find the root of the problem and and deal with it right then and there. That makes sense. Um, uh, go ahead. One sec. I, I just wanted to clarify that my point about um, shooting you at a gun range, yep. um, however tragic that may be right. to come out of my mouth. Um, no, it's a, a, a fair argument. My point was that you would have far less time to defend yourself and uh, a far higher likelihood of just outright losing your life. Okay. I'll address that too because in the environment that we were at, and if you go through any proper safety course, um, they'll teach you these skills. They're incredibly basic. There are three um, three main rules to firearms. Treat every firearm that you come across as if it's loaded. Uh, always make sure it is unloaded before handling it. And never point your barrel at anything that you are not willing to destroy. When you are in an environment like a gun range where there are dozens of guns in use at any given time, Everybody there is hyper-aware of what they're doing, and anybody who is not hyper-aware of what they're doing and being careless is going to be taken off the line immediately by any range officer worth his salt. So I 
whenever I take somebody shooting who is new, I make sure to stand about a foot behind them, behind their right shoulder, their dominant shoulder, whichever one they're shooting at, uh, or with, rather. Um, and because I'm the one introducing them to the weapon and taking them through the proper steps to handle it and use it, I'm any level above hyper, that's where I'm at, because it, I'm not only responsible for my actions, I'm responsible for your actions because I put this weapon in your hand. And so if you did, God forbid, try and turn around and attempt to take my life or your life or anybody else's, I have, and the range officers are as well, they have their eyes trained on every barrel of every gun that's that's in use. Um, and to mitigate things exactly like that. Um, so... There's that as well. I that, that's also a highly controlled environment. It is. And this this discussion is I mean, I use it for a point. Um Absolutely. And I and I understand what you're telling me about everyone's like super hyper aware of it, but when you're sitting in a classroom, no one is hyper aware of uh or like the the location of a barrel of a gun or the uh, motivations of someone with a firearm is probably the furthest things from their mind and so no one is no one in that public environment is hyper aware of how to adequately respond to someone coming in and intending to do damage upon uh, them with a firearm. Yeah, no, and I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, and they shouldn't be. They shouldn't be worried about that. They're in school to presumably learn useful things. Um, I have yet to learn a useful thing in school, but um, <laughs> but my, my point was... Go to trade school. Yeah. Um, it was more so to put individu individuals there whose job it is to be hyper-aware of these kinds of dangers to ensure that the rest of the population of whatever area they are responsible for can go about their daily life. Um, I, uh, as, as, you're, as you're making that point, I am, I'm more willing to concede to that argument. I think you have a very good point about um, mitigating the problem as best you can with a hard and fast solution before... Um, I mean, obviously, bureaucracy takes much longer than people would like. Um, but if we, you're right, if we sit around waiting for people to make a decision and not do anything in the short term to uh, mitigate the effects of what we're experiencing mm -hmm. on the negative side of things, um, like installing more security in schools, um, it could be a long time before we see an end to mass shootings. Right. So I, I do think that is. A decent idea okay and it's a tough i mean it, i'm not going to say it's not an easy or it is an easy topic to talk about especially when at least in the the media we see the people who are most affected to be kids you know defenseless children who we are ingrained in us from you know the inception of humankind to protect children yeah and so it's a horrible thing to have to to deal with and even talk about um but it is well we have to i think it's important to break down that stigma because if we don't talk about it and we continue saying thoughts and prayers uh our thoughts yep. and prayers are with the families blah 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 i like that's not going to get us anywhere sure uh, yeah absolutely um i i'll ask you i can't really remember everything you said in the first half but um it's okay i kind of rambled <laughs> uh 
you made the statement earlier that you understand why <clears throat> excuse me rural communities and suburban communities may have more of a predisposition to firearm ownership and use than people in urban settings um and then you said that guns have no place in an urban setting unless they're in the hands of an authority can you explain that position more for me kind of why you feel that way is it just the increased population of people i think it's more um and this is also where my opinion becomes unrefined um because i okay it's, I, it's an opinion that yeah because i have it because i'm not i'm not ingrained in um in any associate like i i don't shoot guns very mm -hmm. often I'm not, I'm not part of a gun club i don't own a weapon um i know people who do but i just choose not to own one and yeah that's your right yeah. you don't have to um and so that that's why this opinion is a little more undeveloped um and it's just it's my perception that um guns are just like the activity of hunting doesn't take place within the city limits of a large town like it, it's going to take place in a wooded area possibly protected um by someone who knows exactly what they're doing and why they're doing it collateral damage is is low the, od right. the odds of that happening are low yeah like and that's like people are aware of it and so hikers will wear brightly colored clothes just to make sure like hi i'm not a deer mm -hmm. um because because no one out there wants to accidentally shoot a human right um looking at you dick genie uh <laughs> um but uh in an urban environment like that that's just not an activity that happens you like there are people walking around where the possibility of of someone with a firearm who is looking to actively shoot something that isn't a human or may be a human is not on their mind because like if i'm walking down michigan avenue in chicago like just walking down Michigan Avenue in Chicago. Like I'm not, I'm not thinking, Oh, I mean, around that corner, there's probably some dude with a gun that's like sitting up in a tree looking at like a deer. <laughs> Cause that's just, that's not what happens there. And so there's a much lower sense of vigilance, a much lower sense of awareness in urban areas, which I think is part of the reason why mass shootings in highly populated areas are so much more dangerous. They're not more dangerous. They are just very dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so are firearms in your eyes used or should be used mostly for hunting or just environments that... And I, I'm, I say use in the sense that it doesn't mean it's always fired, but more like if somebody had a... If you're just brandishing to show someone that... Like, if somebody had a concealed carry permit, like, they just kept it in their belt mm -hmm. or, you know, under their shirt or something and went about their day and used it for, like, they wanted to have it to feel more secure. Sure. You know, maybe they went to work in a, a high crime area or something like that. Mm -hmm. Isn't that something that you are sympathetic to or do you just think, like, you're working in the city, like, there's no reason for you to have it? I am sympathetic to that because, I mean, there there is a large population in any urban area that... uh that has weapons on them and i mean we live in 
Chicagoland. Mm-hmm. I remember growing up every single day on the news. There were still sh- still uh, shootings happening in very highly dense urban areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's not out of the question to want to carry something to feel safe in those areas um, without the intention of, of doing harm unto another person. Yeah. Um, so, yes, I am sympathetic. In an ideal world, um, no one would have guns, uh, in my opinion. I. Well, in an ideal world, no one would have the impetus to do harm to other people. Yeah, you're right. Um, it's it's just, and I keep going back to this. They're just s- way too efficient at what they do for anyone to have them. It's like because the ma- I would argue that the majority of people who have guns are not as well versed as someone like yourself. Not as like you just rattled off those those three rules. I'm sure verbatim how they're written, um, the three rules that pertain to firing a weapon on a range or just in general. Mm-hmm. Um, not everyone thinks like that. Um, yeah, I'm not going to say that every person who owns a gun is responsible and everyone who um, who wishes to... Uh, to take them away or, or restrict them in any ways is malicious and in intent. And I, I don't, um, and that's, that's a, an argument that people on my side of the, of the pro gun argument fall into sometimes unnecessarily, um, where you'll look at, uh, areas like Chicago or California who have incredibly, incredibly strict, restrictions on gun laws and and will say that oh it's an attempt to just confiscate them to make us easier to to control um i don't i think the the individual american citizen who sympathizes with your view um doesn't have malicious intent towards people who own firearms i think you have a protective instinct towards people who are victims of of violence and i that's a very tenable position and i won't um say that that's wrong in any way you did bring up a point that i wanted to touch on about um when the second amendment was written um firearm technology was relatively uh new infant infant infantile yeah compared to um what uh what we have now um and there are and I didn't know this until I really started to try and substantiate my positions on this topic um but there are a few issues with using that argument that I have found um number 1 if technological advancements end up in restricting a constitutional right, then um, there can be restrictions on free speech because Twitter and Facebook and YouTube exist because the means of spreading information has become so easy and efficient that we need to put, you know, it's not the printing press anymore. You know, you can have free speech as long as you're, you know, putting those little tiles together 
and stamping down the the sheet of paper and and handing it out but um and so there's i don't like that argument because i don't think it, it can apply to every enumerated right that we have evenly um another issue that i have with that is you would have to believe that the the founders and the people who wrote the constitution didn't ever encounter any type of technological advancement during their lifetime and didn't account for things to get better you know um the musket and the printing press were going to be you know the second amendment and the first amendment forever respectively and that's just not true and even in the time of the revolutionary war you had things like the Pepperbox revolver, which had been around since the six, the late 1600s, which was like a, a ten-barrel revolver that would, you know, shoot ten pellets or ten ten rounds at once. You'd have Badass. things like the the um, Girondoni air rifle, which would, which was essentially like the AR-15 of the day. You had 30 rounds that you could fire off in a, a relatively short period of time compared to the musket which took a minimum minute minute and a half to reload one shot um and so there were weapons back in the day that congress wanted to have uh, especially during the um revolutionary war the only problem was that they were just too expensive and so they didn't become kind of like the standard issue rifle like the um like the Springfield, the Springfield rifle, or anything like that, um, and so it, they're not really remembered throughout history because they were prototypes, essentially, and not well known. Um, I so there's that, but I don't. Um, I think the history of the Second Amendment itself gets a little lost, um, and why we have it, and it seems a little antiquated to us and outdated to us um well you also brought up the first amendment and that has started to prove itself to be a little bit antiquated i'm not um advocating for taking away free speech but now we have these platforms like you brought up facebook instagram twitter youtube um where we've already started to see a proliferation of fake news and uh it's just those are means to speech much like a gun where it's just so incredibly efficient at delivering information um, that it started to just get away from us a little bit. Um, the The technology has just evolved way quicker than our government bodies can, or our government bodies or our populations en masse can handle because it's just... Like I said, it's it's just an extraordinarily efficient means of communication. It's no longer the printing press. It's no longer putting down little stamps and then distributing it to your local newspaper boy who's going to give it to the people living in one city. It's like someone from the middle of Nebraska can throw something on Facebook and someone from Thailand's going to see it instantly. Mm-hmm. And uh, And that has the potential to be dangerous, as we've seen in the last few years. Sure, and I I won't disagree with that. I think that's a, a fair point. Um, what I was talking about in terms of finding things to be antiquated was that we have 
sort of lost the essence of why these things were written in the first place and the the principle of them rather than the technology and the physical equipment of the time period. Um, we have freedom of speech and freedom of expression so that the government can't stifle speech it doesn't like. So that if, God forbid, we had a one-party system and the party in power didn't like what these people were saying over here, they can't just unilaterally bypass the Constitution sure. and put an end to dissident speech um, just because they don't like it and because they want to stay in power and they're afraid of these people who have a voice. And that's the same principle with the Second Amendment. I mean, the Second Amendment was written by people who had just gotten done fighting a tyrannical government who had continually encroached on their rights and who had to fight them off and gain their independence through the their own personal hunting rifles that they owned and used on a fairly regular basis. And we have this weird notion that we're the United States, we're a developed country, we live in the West, and, you know, nothing like that is ever going to happen here. We just don't have that in us. You know, we we trust our government to not become totalitarian in any sense, and so we will now in favor of this sense of safety for the least among us, we will um, take away these these weapons in order to, to keep these people safe. And that's an understandable way of thinking, but I also think it's a very flawed way of thinking because we have seen, even recently as Venezuela this year, a totalitarian government running over its own people with with... APCs and shooting them in the streets and they have had to steal weaponry or get them imported from another country because Venezuela had banned guns in like 2012. So it all as a means to control the population better because if the population doesn't have a way to defend itself against a tyrannical government, then the government has all the power and the people sure. have no say. Sure. So that's the essence of why the second amendment was written and we can haggle over and we can nickel and dime kind of like, oh, you can't have this sort of rifle grip on your on your weapon. You can't have that kind of barrel attachment. You can't have that kind of sight. Um, it's all meaningless because those things don't actually contribute to, and I'm not saying you're making this argument. I just want to say it to say it. Um, those things don't add or subtract the rifle or weapon weapon's ability to function the way it was supposed to be functioned. It might make the user a slightly more comfortable here and there, but um, in terms of mitigating like muzzle velocity or dope or anything like that, and those are very like, that's very shop talky and I'll, I'll not use those kinds of terms, <laughs> but um Anyway, I just wanted to make that point because sure. it's the primary reason, in fact, the only reason why the Second Amendment was written. And just one more point, and I'll let you respond to all that. If we wanted to go a full weapon confiscation way, like some people have suggested, we could have done it like five years after the Constitution was written. Um, in 1780s, Sometime during George Washington's first term as president, there were these things called the Whiskey Rebellions. 
in the countryside of some of the colonies where the United States Congress had levied a tax on whiskey and the whiskey farmers were being disproportionately hurt by the tax. And so they had an armed insurrection against the government. We're not going to pay these taxes. We're going to stay on our land and we're going to basically hand sell the whiskey that we make to people and not go through the proper channels to avoid paying this tax. George Washington had to raise a Continental Army to go fight them or at least quell the insurrection. Now, he could have ended this conversation 225 years ago if he wanted to and just took the farmers' guns away because they had risen up in a way that against something that they found to be unlawful and unfair. But he didn't. He recognized the importance of the people's right to keep and bear arms even when these things were happening, even when he himself had to go stop them. Um, and I think that's a very important point to make um, and just kind of the philosophy surrounding why we have that right enshrined and sure. why it's so important. And I and I completely understand why we have the First and Second Amendments. Um, I'm not arguing to uh, like repeal the Second Amendment in any way because I understand that it's there uh, fundamentally to allow the people to have power against its government if it so chooses, um, if it decides that the government is not working for them and um, if, at, God forbid, at any point in the future, um, our government becomes this tyrannical beast that <laughs> like needs to be overthrown, we have the ability to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm not suggesting that um, that they are fundamentally flawed. Uh, and I'm, I'm still talking about both the First and Second Amendments. Um, I'm suggesting that both of those amendments have not been able to adequately keep up with um, the evolving technology involved in proliferating those fundamental philosophies that those amendments laid out. Um, partly because... Um, advances in technologies on both fronts, both in uh, communication and firearm technology have, have just taken place uh, drastically quicker now than at any point in in human history. Um, and that and that certainly plays into why it's so hard to keep up with them from a bureaucratic standpoint. Um, I am suggesting that we take those fundamental concepts and evolve them to keep up with the pace of these technological advancements um you brought up muzzle velocity um from a gun that's not going to be altered by um like that fundamental part of the weapon is most likely not going to be altered by saying like you you can't have a a modified grip you can't have Mm -hmm. an extended clip what have you but maybe there needs to be some sort of uh, some language within the Second Amendment that limits how fast a bullet can exit your weapon, because fundamentally that technology has gotten uh, extraordinarily more efficient. I unfortunately, I like I don't have any evidence to back that up because I just don't know evidence that much. for what uh, muzzle velocity specific. Or oh, it's around or, like. Average muzzle velocity for a rifle is around like twenty three hundred feet per second. Good lord. Uh, it, it. My main point, maybe I guess, a little is, less. 
That's still a lot. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was just me, like, running numbers that <laughs> I knew in my head. Um, so in no way am I suggesting that we need to um, completely revoke the Second Amendment for people. Or I'm, I'm also not suggesting that we need to confiscate everyone's guns. I think that we just need to sit down and have a conversation about um, modifying the amendment to keep up with uh, what we have available on the markets today. Okay. What, so define keeping up for me, like your definition of that. Cause you, you keep bringing that up of the first and second amendment have not been able to keep up with the advancements for us to do what exactly? Like what is your, what's your, kind of frame that you're making that argument in uh mostly like in the case of the second amendment you were talking about how the springfield rifle was probably the most widely used rifle of the time during you just call it a musket because i I don't know if that's the right name for it anyway a musket was uh, was the weapon of choice when they wrote this amendment um and and those guns that you had mentioned that were more so prototypes and less widely available um are now guns that more resemble what we have as widely available to us as the musket was Mm -hmm. 280 years ago 300 i don't do math um yeah yeah 225 something like that yeah yeah (laughs) um and so now that though like that is the new standard the ar-15 or uh um I don't know what's the most common type of pistol. Oh, jeez, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Glock. <laughs> yeah, sure. There you go. Okay, great. Uh, like that's. I'm the disappointed in myself for not. Saying <laughs> that. I was so excited. Um, either the AR-15 or the Glock. Like that is our new standard. It's no longer this musket that takes uh, like 10 seconds to reload between every single shot, and so. I mean, it, it's just. My know. point that I was making with the technological advancements were like the founding fathers were aware of them and they liked them. They thought like we should like everybody should have these. And so they wrote the Constitution with those weapons in mind, knowing that technology was going to evolve and we might eventually get to this kind of place. And another kind of philosophical um, reason why the Second Amendment was written. It was written so that, and this is backed up by quotes by George Washington and James Madison, and who was the, the writer of the, the Second Amendment for the most part. Um, he, the idea was that the citizenry have weapons at least on par with the government in terms of um, functionality and technological use. And that has clearly changed seeing as we don't have fully automatic weapons available to us and the military most likely does. Yeah, not anymore. Um, definitely not as, as commonly um, as they once were. Um, which people on, on my side of the issue have argued that that's bad. We should repeal that and, and they should be more um, more common. But um it is, that is the essence of it, um, and I don't think the 
framework with which it was written and the technology of today are at a disconnect. I don't think it is a technology issue. And I, I boil it down, I don't think it's a firearm issue because nine times out of ten, these guns are, I mean, 99 times out of 100, they're used, they are obtained, rather, in an illegal fashion when they're used in a crime. Now, yeah, do you have somebody who... You know, some guy who beats his wife who went and bought a gun who just lost it one day. Yes, you have that, and you there's that argument between, you know, dangerous freedom and security with much less freedom. And we can have that debate, but there are reasons why these exist, and there are, in my opinion solid reasons for um, citizens owning, you know, weapons that are, as you put it, so efficient. Um, and so I've, okay, so I've kind of grilled you a little bit on your position. Do you have any questions for me? Um, like anything that you want to know or, or any position that you think I have that I can clarify for you? Well, yeah, I'm curious to know, um, for instance, in New Zealand, Either last month or the, the Christchurch shooting. The Christchurch shooting. Yeah. Um, Prime Minister, almost immediately, like the week after that happened, put out a nationwide ban on assault weapons. Um, I think Australia did that after a shooting in Melbourne in either the 90s or the early did 2000s. Did a really big, <coughs> excuse me, a really big gun buyback. I think mm-hmm. in the uh, or either earlier mid nineties, um, it, it was a, essentially a um, a ban. It was turn in your weapon and right. sell it to us, or we will take it from you. Right, and they have not had a mass shooting since. So when you see that kind of legislation get passed in other countries and see it uh, see it find success in its goal of reducing or eliminating the problem of mass shootings. Why is it that that isn't something we can do here? Because they don't operate under the same set of values that we do. And I think it's going to bite them in the butt at some point. It's been 20 years since Australia. It doesn't have to be, you know, tomorrow, It, but at some point, And this is forced bans are antithetical to every argument I've just laid out. Um, and... It just because a mass shooting stops or a mass shooting like that stops doesn't mean that um, they're still not going to happen in the future. Now, New Zealand and Australia also have the advantages of being islands, and so you can't um, if you put a, a big enough crackdown on shipping and importing of things, then it can be a lot harder to illegally import um, anything that you deem to be illegal. And I guess this like, would kind of lead to a conversation on border security, but sure. again, that's outside the scope of this. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if you want to follow my argument to its logical conclusion, that doesn't matter, essentially. Because the essence of the freedom and the freedom itself is the thing that's most important. It's not the, unfortunately, it's not the, um, 
the lives being taken. It is the ability of the populace to exercise their right to self-preservation to the to the utmost of their ability. Now, they could have gone... We could easily go that route. Well, I shouldn't say that. We can't easily go that route. Um, firearms well, are too, be too, preval- of, yeah. too prevalent in our culture, yeah. and you would you would have a civil war on your hands if you tried to ban guns outright. If you, if you think we did the same thing as Australia and New Zealand, the country you would, would have, divide itself violently. You would have more deaths. In the, if you banned guns today, you would have more deaths in the next five years than you would have in the next 100 years of mass shootings if you didn't based on just another civil war round two. Why do you think people who own guns would just see that ban and go crazy and start uprising against the government? Absolutely. I can say without a doubt that um, any veteran who has been to war and come back, uh, anybody who's served our country, any cop worth his salt in constitutional knowledge, and any firearm owner who has um, gone through the process of buying a firearm and becoming aware of the awesome responsibility that it is to own one knows why they have one and knows knows the history of the Second Amendment and why the Second Amendment was written the way it was written. Would would you personally go and shoot a congressperson that voted to ban all weapons in the United States? No, but if you send stormtroopers to my house to try and forcibly take firearms from me, I'm not giving them up. But would you shoot them? I mean, if there were, in my opinion, a corrupt government that banned free citizens from owning their right to self-preservation with a firearm, then yeah, that would have to be my, that's the hill I'm willing to die on. Now, that's really easy for me to say, sitting in a nice cool basement right. where that's not the, the case. Right. But I, I think I think there are people who will do that. Oh, I'm sure. But I think a lot of people are more rational than that. And I, knowing this, the country that we live in, knowing our rational, history, rational how, rational in that they wouldn't immediately go and shoot someone for trying to take their weapons away from them. No, I'm not saying. I'm not saying there would be active assassination attempts against politicians. I'm saying you would have firearm owners who are dead set in their ways, who are not willing to give up their weapons, finding each other, finding groups, forming militias, just like the Second Amendment outlines, a well-regulated militia is necessary to the security of a free state, um, banding together and making a bulwark against people wishing to come and forcibly take away their weapons. So, yeah, maybe you might have, and we're getting really into the weeds on this, but if you, yeah, if you ban guns, you might have people who are targeting the politicians who did that, but. So, obviously, this is not a reality that we want. No. No one wants this. No. And, I mean, I can say that very confidently. I think in recent history, humanity has just overall gotten more peaceful. Um, yeah, more peaceful, like peacefully minded. More people are of the mindset of like, uh, like I, I would want to do good upon my neighbor, and I, like, I want to live in a society where everyone feels safe. Um, that's not. Keep going. I guess the the point the point I'm trying to make is no one wants that version of reality. Not here, and so no. not here, of course. So then, my question to you is. I understand the want for 
short-term solutions in schools, for instance, of increased security, maybe metal detectors, what have you, um, to mitigate the problem um, in the short term. But what do you propose being the long-term solution to this? What what do you think will bring our numbers of mass shootings per year to zero without a weapons, a full weapons confiscation? Um, I don't know if you will ever get to zero. Um, even if you banned all guns, I don't know if you would ever get to zero. Australia got to zero. Um, and I know it, it, it's an island. It's there's a different set of rules there but yeah um they did it i mean banning guns is is frankly out of the question i mean there's more guns in circulation in the united states than there ever have been in our history it's something over like 500 million um and i think like 46 or 47 percent of the united states population or firearm owners so at the very least you would have a very 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 difficult time doing it um I think it comes down to information, number one. I think you need to have, as as much as people don't want to hear this, I think you need more education. I think you need to educate people on the awesome power that a firearm is, the responsibility it is to own one, and um, have them understand more so the you know, the history and reasons of the Second Amendment and also the atrocities that have happened in countries around the world, especially in the 20th century, that have um, happened when the population is disarmed. Um, There are mental health issues that are taking place. I mean, we are more prosperous as a whole than we ever have been and we're more manic than we ever have been more depressed than yeah, we ever have been yeah exactly and so i i don't know what the cause of that is i think it might just be um we're not connecting with each other enough maybe uh, we we talked about this on the last episode where we were so glued to our phones recently where it's just it's so refreshing to get true human interaction and i think just living in the reality of your cell phone 24 7 uh distorts your worldview yeah i i will agree with that 100 percent. and you have people who are you know radicalized on the internet who mm-hmm. read things by people who um you know they might be trying to make an argument poorly or they might just be out to you know get people to to think in the evil ways that they do um, right, and they're much more likely to subscribe to that information as opposed to some dude walking up to them on a street with a pamphlet saying, hi, uh, this is why you need to join my radical Islamist terrorist group. Right. We're called ISIS. We're out of Syria. Out of <laughs> yeah, like, we meet uh, on Saturdays. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, they're much, much li- less likely to be like, oh, yeah, no, like, that's a thing I want to be a part of in real life. And that's just a, that's just a speculation, but I think if, like if it were a human interaction. Oh yeah. There's a certain be. like societal barrier that goes up when you're interacting with a person face to face rather than just getting kind of all up in your head. Um, Through after, text. Re- after reading like a four chan or eight chan post or something. Sure. Um, and so it's, it, I think we, you, you touched on this earlier that we've gotten more peaceful as humans. I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think, 
I mean, we're, we're seeing a general decline in, in we are. war. No, we absolutely are. We're seeing a general decline in, in violence uh, across the United States. Um, but we... The society we live in, the United States, and more broadly the West, is not natural. I mean, we, we have fought and scrapped and dragged ourselves through mud and blood and war and poverty and shit to get to where we are now in this, you know, freest, most prosperous society that anyone has ever dreamed of in the history of humanity. Um, for the large majority of human history, we have been tribal and brutal and violent and territorial and any kind of animalistic word you want to use to describe us. Um, and so the mental health is for sure an issue, but I don't think that we can just rule out the inherent flaws of human beings. There are always going to be dissidents and people on the fringes of society that feel, um, cast out, who feel ostracized, who wish to fight the world and fight the injustice of life and that's a very dangerous mindset to have but we can't discount that there are always going to be those kinds of people and i mean violence if anything is inherent to the human being as much as eating or love making it's like it's how we have carved out our territory throughout the years um and I think the best way, without infringing upon the basic human rights that we have found ourselves to be true, um, or that we have found to be true, not found ourselves to be true. Um, I am true. I am true. I am, <laughs> I am me. I am human. Um, without infringing upon those freedoms, we need to do everything, our, everything we can to protect those freedoms and also understand that there will always be adversity to those and so we have to make a choice and I, personally i think we've made the right one as a country whereas other more european countries and um have in my opinion made the wrong choice we can either live under dangerous freedom and we can be responsible for ourselves be personally responsible hold each other accountable for exercising those freedoms or we can give every bit of liberty to the government and say here just protect us and we're at the whims of whatever you choose for us um so i guess the larger solution then is to just in general strive for a better sense of community inclusivity yeah positivity love and compassion and for people who do feel like they're on the fringes of society and are uh grappling with mental illness mm -hmm. and not finding their place in the world, maybe disconnecting a little more, I think. And this At is that point, the argument goes much farther than just there's a weapon in someone's hands. Right, and this also um, touches on your point of the First Amendment where this information is so readily available and people can, you know, someone in Nebraska can post something on Facebook and someone in Taiwan sees it, and so it's really easy for you to just sit in your basement if you're a disenfranchised individual and feel like, oh, there's a community of other people that feel the way I feel 
I belong more to them than, you know, this neighborhood that I live in or this town that I live in or this city or this country or whatever the case may be. Right. But they haven't walked out their door and gone down the street. Exactly. And so I think we almost need to decentralize the feeling of community from we are, you know, we are the world to we are, you know, we are State Street. We are Second Street. We are this. We are the neighborhood of Wexford, we are the town of Palatine or Oak Brook or whatever the case may be. Getting back to humanity at its roots of, exactly. of being a little more disconnected from the rest of the world. Right. Because if you if you form the social fabric to the point where you are on the lookout for people who are disenfranchised and you are trying to actively welcome them into the community and and, and ingrain them into this group, this you know, this social structure then they would be a lot less likely to um sort of act in a harmful way towards the thing that they are that they feel a part of now sure. you're always going to have crime you're you're always going to have people who are willing to do harm to others um but and that that's just a sad reality of life and a sad reality of being a human being. That's the tragic nature of life. And we can't try and, and legislate or medicate ourselves out of human nature. We can only do what we can to to bring about the best of our nature and um, and do everything we can to kind of help each other along. Well, I gotta say, it kind of goes against my uh, my idealization of human civilization, and that we're moving towards this grand global society. But I think you make a really good point in that we need to. I mean, I think you can have both. You yeah. know, I think you can have. I think you can Smaller order ten thousand steel beams from China, but also like bring your neighbor cookies on the weekend. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's it's having smaller, tight-knit communities that have their own place inside of a larger global network yeah. as opposed to everyone's kind of fending for themselves but also feeling alone in the whole of the human population. Exactly, yeah. Do we want to end it there? Honestly, I'm really good with that. Okay. I, um, I mean, I... Yeah, I think that's a great note to end on. Yeah, and I don't think this, is the, this will be the last time we talk about either this or, or anything else that is more adversarial. Um, but I think we did a, a really good job of stating our opinions and our points of view, and we don't hate each other, so. Yay! <laughs> Here's the handshake. There we go. Yeah, I mean, I'm not in this to, like, disagree with you and try to convince you that I'm right and that you're wrong. I'm, I think... Exploring uh, ideas. Exploring ideas, feeling empathy for one another and where we come from, and... Uh, and just understanding each other a little bit more. And I think that uh, lends itself to a better sense of community. Yeah, exactly. There you go. All righty. Well, this has been Nick and Jack with the Friends Who Disagree podcast hosted <laughs> by twice a week that only uploads once. So stay tuned. <laughs> uh, we'll figure it out. <laughs> we'll figure it out. <laughs> Bye, folks. See ya. Stop. Hit stop.